Hello and welcome to another brand new day, which brings with it a brand new podcast. Hi, I'm Marco Stack, here to talk with my good pal and co-host, Jordan Alseca, about a perfectly cromulent collection of Amazing Spider-Man issues. We are looking at Amazing Spider-Man 595 through 599, written by Joe Kelly, with art by Phil Jimenez, Paolo Siquiera, and Marco Cicchetto. And a whole host of inkers. I, I'm probably, yeah, Andy Lanning, Hamilton Santos, uh, Marco Cicchetto, and Paolo Siqueira inking themselves. Uh, and colored by Chris Chuckery and Jeremy Cox. We even got two letterers. This is how insane this this must have been for them to make. We got VCs, Joe Caramagna, and uh, Chris Eliopoulos. So, 13 creators. <laughs> yeah, all to bring you uh something that's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Jordan, what did you think about this perfectly fine comic book? <laughs> I think, you know, we've been pretty uh I think in in agreement on most of this run, but I'm I'm actually disagree. I thought this was one of the best uh arcs of the run revisiting it. You know what? We are disagreeing because I was, I was, I was softening a bit by saying fine. I, I did not like any single second of this. <laughs> I, uh, I, I think I realized something about myself, Jordan, and it's that anytime Norman Osborn shows up in a comic, I don't care anymore. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what did this to me. Maybe this is not this comic's fault. This might be the effect of me reading a little bit of the end of the uh, Nick Spencer Amazing Spider-Man. And all of the convolutions that Norman's gone through since this run. And I just, I can't read any more word balloons where characters like, <laughs> you know, you never wanted me to be my own person. Oh, you could have been your own person if you knew how, what it meant to be a man. And then like all that shit forever and ever until we die. <laughs> I not. Well, I mean, I can't hang with it. <laughs> Well, and, and here's here's the point I will say in fairness, because it is a thought I definitely agree with in terms of the art. As I was reading, I was like, you know, this art in and of itself, I think, really works. If you forget that they're going to go on for the next 15 years after it, continuing to hammer home these same points. Um, I think within the bubble of Brand New Day, within the let's bring back Harry from the dead, and let's bring Norman back to prominence for the first time since... He was also kind of bullshit brought back to life at the end of the Clone Saga. I, I feel like if you're going to bring these characters back, this is naturally a story you're going to have to get to eventually. And I think it justifies bringing Harry back by giving him an arc where he... I, I think he's been a little hit or miss throughout the arc. He hasn't had as solid a run as Jonah, but I think this is a nice capstone. If we never saw... Not even necessarily Harry Osborn again, but if we never got the Harry-Norman dynamic again, if Norman was going to go do all of his Asgardian siege bullshit and die and be done with, I think this would be a solid end to the character. And I know it's not. I know there's a whole there's a whole miniseries that this foreshadows with stupid Gabriel Stacy. But I just think in the vacuum, oh, this arc worked for me. <laughs> How dare you mention that name of the uh He's of in the, the book! Stacey He's in here! Yeah, yeah, and I don't like the Grey Goblin, and I've made that clear on previous episodes, but uh, to, to give uh, our listener, uh, hey, hello, we know you're out there, listener, uh, we uh, uh, top down of this arc if they haven't read it, this arc sees Norman Osborn, who at this point in time has been installed as head of what was S.H.I.E.L.D., 
and then reformed as an organization called Hammer uh, in the wake of Secret Invasion. He's the top defense uh, man in the United States. He can do anything he wants. And he comes back to New York, uh, not just to make Spidey's life hell, but to recruit his uh, prodigal son, Harry Osborn, to uh, join him with his Dark Avengers, initially under the guise of being a PR representative, but we find out that he's crafted a superhero identity so that Harry can join him as an Avenger, a Dark Avenger, uh, fulfilling the role of Captain America to his Iron Man. They will be together Iron Patriot and American Son, which really i'm really interested to know how norman thought that was going to play out uh if if harry had gone along with it he, he gets a whole monologue at the end where he's like well i thought he might not go through with it so i was gonna like fake a suicide or something uh but, i mean pro- probably better in 2007 era politics than present day politics <laughs> yeah this is this is a comic from uh 2009 which i know we've we've touched on these time capsule elements quite a bit and there are quite a lot in here. Uh, things like Peter talking to the frontline staff and saying, we got to take down Norman Osborn. He's a giant piece of shit. <laughs> and uh, Nora Winters handing him a note that says, quote unquote, righteous hostility is totally hot. Take me out to dinner and let's go punch Nancy Pelosi in the face, which uh, lands pretty differently today than it probably did at the time. <laughs> Yeah, I, when I read that and, and saw of course, that you tweeted, I was like, you know, um, I don't think her motivations are the same, but I agree with you. <laughs> no. <laughs> Nora's in that really problematic space of being like the uh, the Fox News blonde Republican who's like, she she's there for a reason, and it's a bad reason, but she draws the people in. <laughs> it's it's a, like I was revisiting her i always remembered liking her but especially in this arc and reading the way she moves through the world and talks she's the most 2000s character in this run by a mile yeah um yeah but generally yeah we or we we have kind of like four major plot threads throughout this thing we have harry osborne or or three if you want to say norman and harry kind of go together but norman is trying to advance his agenda and try to take out Spider-Man because he dares to step to him right at the beginning. Uh, we have Spidey. I think overall really selling. I, we didn't feel it was very earned or built up last time. But I think they take that anger that he's feeling and really go with it. There's not a lot of levity in this arc even though he makes the occasional joke. I think we get a really mean Spidey in this arc and it, it feels appropriate to the material. And then we have Nora undercover at um, Avengers Tower. And then Harry himself, who, another thing I really like about this arc, has his own mission. We, we've we already had the ambiguity of is he menace or not. They don't try to repeat that here. It's very clear from the minute, I mean, even from when we learn Lily's pregnant, which is obviously a big deal, he, he is going with a mission. He does not actually want to join his father. And I like that the arc doesn't try to hide that at all. Yeah, the, the arc really does sell you on the idea, and this is present uh in the first issue in particular, that Harry is not stressed about the things he used to be. Of course, his father still gets under his skin when he ambushes him at a dinner that's supposed to be celebrating the engagement of Aunt May and uh, Jay Jameson. Uh, but he doesn't flap in the moment. He dismisses his father. And then he freaks out a bit at home, but seems mostly in control. He has completely taken control of his life at this point, which 
as you know, narratively means this is the time for his father to wreck all of his shit and uh, and lead him back into drug addiction by the end of the arc. <laughs> that was super dark, uh, but we'll, we'll get there when we get there. <laughs> we will. Um, and one thing I'll bring up, and, and this is personal, I think it's why Harry Osborn as a character works, it's why I like that first Spider-Man movie so much. I'm someone with my own father issues, you know, I don't ever try to hide it, it doesn't come up a lot, but, you know, I, I get, I always, I sympathize with Harry a lot for his struggles on that side of things, and again, I think the fact that he's trying so hard in this arc, and is very clearly, like, over his father's approval, he's not necessarily over his father, obviously, with where things go, but... Uh, it feels earned from what we've seen of things up till now. And and I like the fact that, again, that's why I say if this was the end point, which it's not, but if it was, it would work really well as like, he's finally over that demon, even if he has other demons that are going to be with him for the rest of his life. Yeah, I if the arc had been more or less focused on that uh, and not distracted by the other things, if it were like a one-issue story with that approach, I, I probably would feel a lot more positively about it, but... You know, I, I can't complain that something isn't completely different. That's that's just not a fair way to approach a narrative. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I do like Harry going undercover, uh, basically, because initially after his meeting with Norman, he's visited by, well, we, we used to call her Menace, but now uh, she flies around uh, with very apparent breasts, uh, which lets you know that they're, they're not hiding gender from you anymore. <laughs> Uh, Lily returns no. to Harry's loft to, uh, tell him a whole sob story about how the serum's driving her crazy. She doesn't want it to, uh, affect her life permanently. And then there's the reveal at the end of the issue that she's pregnant. Uh, extremely pregnant. Uh, incredibly pregnant. I'm not sure about the timing on this all, but Harry is no, decided... Well, I don't think she... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I don't think she's going to give birth for another 40 issues, so the timeline's wonky. Yeah, and Harry's decided, you know what, I'm going to be a father, again. Don't forget about those other children, reader, <laughs> and uh, uh, Normie. And uh, it, it is actually crazy Normie doesn't come up in this, but he's decided to take his father's offer to work for the Avengers so that he can try and get Lily out of her lockup. Because uh, she's ostensibly under arrest by these people. I don't think they ever explain how she explains to Harry that she got out to go see him. That that That's not really addressed. I'm Was that addressed, Jordan? No. I think it's more just an emotional blitzkrieg. And I think in that moment, it is, it is Norman, you know, I don't want to, like, I, I think for the most part, Norman has never underestimated Harry before because he's always known exactly how to push his buttons and he knows how to push that button. But I do think, again, one of the things I like about this arc is it does have Norman fully underestimate Harry for the first time because he's finally passed so many things. Um, and that's what allows him to to kind of operate the way he does throughout this arc. Yeah, it, it's just strange that Harry doesn't ask how she got out, that that doesn't come up. Uh, in general, I think this arc feels very... Uh, when I say, like, haphazard, I don't mean, like, people didn't didn't try hard on this, but when you look at how many different artists had to work on this, and that that, that tends to happen when a book is late or needs to be rushed. Uh, and I, I gather this might have been thrown together pretty quickly, maybe because they had plans for what to do with uh, Siege or the, uh, the American Sun Mini that they wanted to do. Uh, but in general... 
not not the biggest issue in the world. And we move on to uh, it, Peter really caught up in his feelings about Harry uh, going to work with his father and deciding to go undercover for a little bit of like a heisty feel, which is probably the most fun part of the story. Uh, reading it, I de- definitely thought that you probably enjoyed that aspect the most. No, I, I did. And I, I think overall, to speak to the art side of things, I, I think, you know, even for for the varied uh, artists that worked on this book, I think it flows. There was never, there weren't too many moments where it was extremely noticeable. There were a few times where the faces changed pretty significantly. But for the most part, I think working with what they have, because I, I agree, I think there is an element of Norman Osborn's everywhere and we have to make it all fit for the week-to-week reader. Like, there's a reference to Hawkeye's speech at one point, or announcement, so there's there's obviously, like, stuff going on that they have to work around, and that's the sort of thing that could obviously have changed how they did certain elements. Um, so I, I don't want to hold that, especially in the, you know, three times a month that they're already doing, to have that on top of it. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure it's a mess getting this book put together. Um, yeah. But yeah, the, the, the heist stuff is fun. There's kind of a weird moment where... When he first infiltrates, we get this weird hawk or uh, not Hawkeye bullseye moment where it's definitely a weird panel layout where it shows like rat on the left side, then him getting the coin, then back to the rat. It's there, there's a little art weirdness there. Um, oh yeah, this whole, is it's... when Peter uh, Peter as Spider Man uh, basically kidnaps Venom and takes his place because he wants to infiltrate Avengers Tower as like the Dark Avengers Venom. So he finds Matt Gargan trolling for uh, sex workers to eat in a uh, pair of pages that is actually pretty shocking to me, honestly. Uh, <laughs> that was pretty wild. Matt, they really did commit to Matt Gargan being the scariest, grossest guy. And some yes. of the artwork around that, that woman is uh, a little unfortunate in terms of tongue and goo. Uh, yeah. Yes. But... but it doesn't get truly weird and regressive and very 2009 until uh, Sue Richards uh, shows up to refer to that woman as a junkie and a streetwalker. Uh, and then immediately following it up by saying, I'll get her to a program, which I, I actually talked about this with, with my wife, Ray. She was like, Sue is a rich woman living in a building in New York City. You know how she votes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but, you know, what I'll say for the scene, and again, for a lot of these scenes, is it is it is fairly total consistent with the darker story they're trying to tell. Oh, yeah. Um, and I don't necessarily, I, I'll agree, I don't think it necessarily always works, and I, I feel like there's, um, if anything, we that I, I wish Spidey was a little meaner, but I think on the whole, he does really fit with how re- enraged he was in that last arc. So, him being willing to do this stuff, I mean, he says, some, he is willing to go full Venom and say some real messed up stuff. Uh, yeah oh my god (laughs) that uh he says something very rude and uh honestly like at least three hr violations to uh moonstone who is the uh the dark avengers miss marvel uh this was reading this whole thing i i couldn't help but think about something we've talked about which is these are comics that could not be made by marvel in this current landscape where they're owned by disney Uh, And I mean that for good and ill. There's stuff like Wolverine making a crack about how it took eight years to get Bush out of office. And then you have stuff like referring to sex workers as streetwalkers and junkies, where you definitely feel an era where the corporate side of things was was not like policing you for 
standards and practices and morality in quite the same strict way they might now. Yeah. I mean, again, it's one thing that, I mean, it felt timely to be reading this art because this is very much a, the government is evil and corrupt and we need to tear it down type of story because specifically a supervillain is in charge of things, but <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's very directly aimed at the government is messing things up. And that was a lot of their vibe just through, like, I think very much of the civil war through siege era as being that sort of like angry energy towards that stuff. Yeah. It's funny that that, that angle has always worked for Marvel until the uh the secret empire that nick spencer did uh essentially they did that every single decade there was always like a your government's evil and the heroes got to go against them and then uh i don't know something must have happened in 2016 to make people feel differently about that but i i can't really put my finger on it anyway uh, <laughs> anyway we're just reading a, a book about it sure we'll get back to yeah, we're just yeah, reading a book ahead. about a maniacal rich man who uh, bullies his inferior son into trying to follow in his footsteps. Nothing relevant about that. Ever. Yeah, it, <laughs> it won't. It won't at all color how we feel about the the ending of the book and its view on mercy. Oh. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but no, so I mean, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, well, I was just going to say, yeah, we get uh, Spidey in cover. We get a few other things going on uh, sort of in the middle of the arc where everyone's everyone's in uh, Avengers Tower with its big <laughs> sentry spikes on the top. Very of the era. Um, and we get, you know, Nora's undercover and she's seducing one of the higher level workers to try to get evidence on Norman. Harry's going along while also sort of infiltrating. Uh, and then we get... Uh, Spidey found out pretty quick. It's it's obvious from more or less his first uh, group seed that Dokken knows who he is. And so we, we get that big fight where they, they go at each other before it's like, no, Norman knew it was you two. It's, it wasn't a good disguise type of vibe. <laughs> Man, I, I forgot that Dokken was introduced this early. I, I guess Dokken's been around for almost 20 years now, huh? <laughs> Wild. Um... So we, then we get a pretty, again, feels very of its era in terms of criticizing the government. We get a, a, again, because he's wearing the suit, I'm not sure how much damage is being done. I I think they say it's just the mask that is impenetrable, but we get a lot of Spidey torture at the hands of Bullseye. Yeah, he gets shot in the legs with arrows. It's, uh, it's pretty gnarly. And they, they... That that's a type of injury that the the writing and the art does not track after the moment it happens. The next issue starts and we are not acknowledging those leg wounds, uh, which you know might just be a case again of like the order that this book had to be made in. Uh, th- those are little things I always pick on just because I I really like the psychology of how that affects movement. Uh, this this kind of dates the time we we're recording, but at the time I was reading this, I was thinking about uh, the most recent issue four of amazing spider-man by zeb wells and john Romita jr and i thought that was an issue that not saying anything about the plot uh tracked injury very well to make a consistent story uh and i think that's something that adds to a story like this obviously oh certainly i mean this is very much in the proud tradition of spidey gets pushed to his physical limits type stories so the more of that you can integrate the better we don't get that that much but we do get i mean a fairly bloody um wrap up through the last couple of issues i mean we we see a lot of blood we see some like again 
Spidey's meanness. He rips parts of Norman's face off with his, like, spider grip. Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking at that page right now, actually. Uh, that That's pretty gnarly. Uh, big fan of that. He should try that more often. <laughs> uh, just mess someone up. Yeah, so Peter, you know, he gets found out, like we said. He gets tortured. And it ultimately comes down to uh, Harry uh, also getting found out because he makes his play to Lily way too early. He's come with a cure uh, to, you know, fix her from the goblin serum. And she ends up pushing him away. Like, get that shit away from me, dude. I don't want any of your weak sauce. And she then reveals a new costume, which is much more goblin themed and also but reveals her ability to hide her pregnancy. That... That was pretty wild. <laughs> uh, it's but yeah, she, she, she gets can hide full, it. Like, yeah, it's. Uh, I don't love the costume. I really liked Menace, um, and this one definitely feels more like we know she's a woman now. She can be a sexy goblin. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna put some boobs on this, and because we want her to be sexy, her powers have to include like her goblin baby or you know fetus, like hiding in her rib cage or something it's she gets green skin she's she's got horns it, it's a it's kind of a messy look i don't think it really coheres and i don't think they keep this look going after this not that i recall i'm pretty sure we see a very pregnant traditional menace in origin of the species way down the line um yeah but this feels like the vibe of a character you'd call goblin queen if that wasn't already an x-men character <laughs> <laughs> that's why in the beyond arc that inspired us to make this podcast they called theirs queen goblin <laughs> you know it, it works pretty uh, well for that, honestly <laughs> so she ends up um, uh, telling harry that she never wanted his help and the baby is not his uh because she's been vigorously uh to quote norman osborne fucking his dad <laughs> and uh if ever there were a party foul like a thing you can't come back from i think your ex-fiance saying i fucked your dad is is probably that point <laughs> this is such a weird uh you know kind of like when <clears throat> when we started seeing the no way home trailers and it was like oh they're just gonna do uh, uh, one more day, but in a movie form with a lot of change. That's weird. It's weird how so soon after Sin's past, and again, there is specific, Gabriel Stacy is in a stasis pod in this arc. It's so weird seeing them do like, let's, all right, we messed up Sin's past the first time. Let's kind of bring those elements back. It's going to work way better with Harry, which I think it does. It's just so weird that they're <laughs> like, let's go right back to that well so soon. And honestly, it's, uh, it's too human of an evil thing to do. It's like, it's, you can place that in a, uh, in a realistic emotional context in a way that you can't do that with, like, uh, a goblin dropping your girlfriend off a bridge. But, like, Norman fucked his son's ex-girlfriend. And that's just not okay. Uh, that's just not okay. Uh, yeah, not, not a lot to say about that other than that. No. But it, it, uh, it definitely what drives I will say over is... the edge. It does. But, but like, it, it again, it shows that Lily is very much in the Norman camp. Um, and again, one of those false moments, I think, that this arc does have is at the end, and we'll get there. But Lily, also like, 
uh, Norman is underestimating Harry and how well he's going to be able to function. Like, he finds a cure. He's He gets by his dad's... And, and part of it's probably that his dad is so focused on Spider-Man, he's not paying any attention to his son, which has always been his uh, biggest flaw. But, <laughs> you know, he gets the serum, he's about to inject it, and she's like, nope, didn't sign up for this. So it's nice. Again, he gets to be... If not the hero of this arc, because again, we get a lot of Spidey stuff, he gets to stand on his own here, which is, again, just what I like. I think this is some of, taken away from everything else, I think this is the strongest character work for Harry in pretty much all of Brand New Day. Yeah, he's more effective and efficient than he's ever been. Uh, and that leads him to making a pretty bad choice, uh, which is uh, taking the modified super soldier serum that Norman was making for him which had not been perfected yet, and then donning the American Sun Armor to get into a big superhero fight with his dad. Uh, he says earlier It'll... when he finds out the plan that when Norman says, you know, I'm going to turn you into a super soldier, Harry says under his breath, oh, you're trying to turn me into a son that you can finally love. <laughs> and that's kind of what this ends up being. It is weird how apolitical the image of two guys in American armor fighting ends up being, because, like, this is just purely a personal conflict. Uh, it is interesting. What do you, what do you make yeah, of the American Sun armor design? Um, I mean, I think there's a reason that the Iron Patriot got adapted to an MCU movie, but American <laughs> Sun hasn't. It, it feels very 90s action figure with, like, the faceplate and the, like, arm blades. Um, I Again, I like the character work. It is a very father-son focused I, like Norman's grade A bullshit. Of, it's not a drug. It's a compound. You'll be fine. <laughs> You're not going to relapse is, uh, with my just... synthetic chemicals. <laughs> no, it didn't ever make you go crazy before. Uh, but yeah, I think that is one of the, the, the flaws of this arc. And again, both reading it in a modern context and probably at the time is it's like, because even though Spidey should be a part of taking down Norman Osborn, obviously Dark Reign's not going to end in the Spidey book. It's going to end in a big event. So, that, again, there's that hamstringing of, like, they can only do so much, so it has to be more character-focused. So it's less about the politics, it's less about the, like, corrupt government, and it's more about, man, Norman Osborn's a shitty dad. Um, and, <laughs> and so we get that very direct conflict between the two of them. Yeah, and, uh, you know, it leads to a classic uh, ending for any story where a hero has the villain dead to rights. He's got his... Uh, it looks like a hard light shield that he's going to decapitate Norman with. And Peter basically talks him down, not with the, uh, you'll be just like him, but it'll change how you think. Like, kind of a weird argument. I don't think it really lands for me. How did that land for you? Um, there were a few things in this issue that, that I, I really liked. And there were things where it's like, it, it's, it's a very, I, I don't want to say outdated. I think it can work that it's like, um, we we have to we can't kill, uh, or we're not no better than them. I think that can still work, but again, when you have such a highly political, corrupt government official, <laughs> I want to see. <laughs> like, I know Spidey's not going to do it. We get that moment early on where Wolverine <laughs> is like, "If you get the chance, if you get him dead to rights, you have to do it." And we know Spider-Man's never going to do that, but Harry could do it. Like, we we could believe of like this arc again, if not for the bigger, um storyline stuff if this were just a spider-man story i think this arc could very easily end with harry finishing his father and maybe that corrupts him further maybe you have future arcs where he goes and turns into a villain like he used to i mean there's a lot you could do from there but 
yeah, because of that political context, I'm like, yeah, no, screw this guy. Cut his head off. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, um, the, the but, better argument from Peter would be saying, hey, man, uh, you don't want the heat of killing the active head of the DOD slash CIA. <laughs> no, that is a big sacrifice. But I, I, again, I, because it's so focused on the character level of like, don't become your father, I think it, it works better than it might otherwise. Because I, I know that's the angle they're trying to frame it from. It's just that larger context is impossible to escape. Um, but there's stuff I like. I, I do like... I sometimes find it can be cheap to just throw in a flashback to a scene we've never seen before. But I actually really like the little scene between Peter and Harry at the frat party. I thought the line, I wanted to punch someone and I didn't want it to be you, was a really good summation of their vibe and their whole relationship. Yeah. Um... My, I had a few moments, though, where I was like, is this a cheap moment or or does it work in context? And there, there's a part where it's like, Harry has uh, a maskless Peter dead to rights. And he's like, I turned off all my sensors. I don't want to know. And I was back and forth on, does this work? Would he act? Is he that desiring? Or is does he on some level know that Peter is Spider-Man and doesn't want it confirmed? For, for me, I think that ended up working because it fit Harry's attitude at the start of the arc towards his dad. Where he had decided, like, hey, don't even want to fight with you. I'm just going to dismiss you and go on my way. He was handling Spider-Man more or less the same way. Which I uh, which I thought it made sense and it did sell a bit more his arc uh, for this. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of where I was ending up. Where I just feel like um, it works. And, and again... It's the sort of thing where you could easily... It, it's not the sort of thing that feels like a cheap out. Because I, I feel like... Him finding out is definitely a story engine that they could have used. I don't think it's necessarily cheap for him not to know. I think it can go either way with Harry. It's not like a supervillain or someone who's going, well, at the moment, it's not a supervillain that's going to come for him if he knows. So I, I think it does overall work for, again, their their relationship between Harry and Spidey and Harry and Peter. Um, what definitely didn't yeah. work is we get a lot of wrap-up scenes. And uh, <laughs> there's a scene of... <laughs> Of Norman talking to his child-to-be in Lily's stomach. And, you know, saying his usual crazy spiel. And we get we get looks from Lily like she's like, oh no, what have I signed myself up to? And I'm like, why would you be thinking that now? First of all, you're insane. And you've already <laughs> seen all the other stuff he's willing to do. Uh, but I think this does get followed through because as I'm remembering Origin of the Species, which might be the next time she even shows up, uh, she's on the run. And I, I don't know that that's earned at all. Yeah, it it doesn't track because we've not really seen her question anything up to this point. Uh, she's like ride or die for uh, for Norman at this point. She's like super into it. Uh, that yeah, that that's not. She's never really been the most sketched character, uh, unfortunately. And yeah, that 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 moment felt more about Norman than it did about her. Uh, even though it was like selling her feelings, it was more to put Norman over than to uh, give her an angle. Yeah. Um, but we'll see exactly where that goes. Again, I think she was in service. She's in service to the Osbournes. They're, the depth yeah. of her father, whatever there was there, is gone. I don't think her dad comes up again. Maybe he does when she shows up, but it's not like he's ever going to be a going concern in this book past the end of that election. Um, yeah. And then another one of those wrap-up pages, uh, which I alluded to earlier, was Harry going to a doctor... Uh, because that super soldier serum has given him a bit of a tremor. It's affected his health. And this doctor, without even like looking up from their pad, is like, 
sounds like 80 milligrams of uh, Oxycontin then. Uh, <laughs> here you go, buddy. And then we reveal the true villain of this arc is the uh, the Sackler family. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, um, it's again, it's a tragic page, but it feels like it, it, it fits in because it's like whatever his deals with his father, those are the things he has to get over. But they are separate from his history of addiction. Honestly, it's it's made even more tragic by modern context where we are 100% clear on the effect that those medications had on the opioid crisis and how doctors overprescribed them. This only aged better, actually, as, like, the lens through which he would relapse. Yeah, I mean, she doesn't even really ask any follow-up. She's just like, all right, Oxycontin, get out. Yeah, she's like, I get fucking paid for this, man. Here you go. (laughs) So she doesn't even know what the compound is. No, (laughs) it is. It's only getting worse from um, here, Jordan. These doctors are negligent. <laughs> uh, the last... We, we get a couple others. Nora gets scared off the case um, for a while. I, I think she does find her spine again eventually. Um, but I don't remember exactly with Nora, so I, I'm sure we'll we'll see where it goes from there with her. And then we get some more with uh, Jay and May finding Peter at the hospital, talking about Twittering, which I don't... Which was weird because it was not put in the context of an old person not knowing how to say tweet. It was just like, is that just what were people just saying that back then? Because he seems impressed that she knows that much. Yeah, she even mentions Facebook, uh, which again, prescient because it was a story about the decline of the American uh, society and government. And here they're talking about Facebook. Yeah, it's all here. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, I want to call back to that Nora scene, though, because... She's getting ready to uh, write and file her story to Ben Urich, and then her computer gets taken over by, uh, you would assume, Norman or one of his hammer goons, showing them uh, either roughing up or killing uh, the security guard she was getting her info from to scare her off the story. And Nora more or less drops it from there. That is a scene from, uh, more or less, from uh, Born Again, that classic Ben Urich story, also co-starring Matt Murdock. Uh, where the same thing happens to him, and JJJ has to get him to, you know, recommit to the story, even with the danger that he faces. So I'm kind of interested in seeing that arc go for Nora if they pick it up, because I don't remember. I always remember her being unscrupulous, uh, but fun. Yeah, I, I think I think we'll get there. I think we can maybe have a few more shades to her. But, you know, we'll see on that. I always, I just find it interesting, it's 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 always funny, because you bring up the Daredevil Spider-Man parallels, and it's like, there's always so many. Um, I think I've mentioned that I was reading through the uh, Fisk as Mare storyline in Daredevil, and it, it there, there was a very strong, not, not one-to-one, but a very strong parallel between Daredevil finding out Fisk became Mare, and <laughs> Spidey finding out J. Jonah became Mare. And I'm, I, one thing I'd love to see is, like, I don't, remember other books and how they dealt with jay jonah as mayor and i don't know how that's going with kingpin either because uh, he's still there or at least he is at where i'm at i don't know if that's changed but i think he's he made it through runs and is still the mayor which is always impressive um but it's always just that, that's just a small thing it's fun seeing the ways spider-man and daredevil continue to parallel one another throughout history yeah they sometimes form a bit of a goofus and gallant like relationship where like this dumb moron revealed his identity and got his aunt killed and made a deal with the devil. This other guy just said, that's not true, until people eventually listened. <laughs> it's uh, it, it's pretty funny that they, 
they really are like uh, Spider-Man and Daredevil at any moment can be the other's darkest timeline version of themselves. <laughs> yeah, uh, which which is good stuff. Um, if only because it's funny that Spider-Man tends to get hit the hardest, whereas Daredevil sometimes can just skate by. Not that he did. Obviously, he you know all of Bendis' run on Daredevil is people knowing his identity and, and it being a real bad time for him. Um, but... <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I think know, overall, uh, we, we also have a little addition, in addition to all that, we get a few hints. Again, we see Gabriel Stacy in a tube setting up a miniseries that will probably undo a lot of the character work in this thing. Um, <laughs> and we also get the first hints of Doc Ock's return. Uh, yeah, so, so that's he's, he's fucking with well. the power grid. Um, I was, I had forgotten he shows up. I remember the... I mean, the opening to 600, which is our next issue, sits so clearly in my mind, the way it sets up the new status quo for Doc Ock. So I was surprised to see we get a hint of it here. Not that there shouldn't be foreshadowing, I just completely forgot that we get that moment. Yeah. Yeah, it... Man, that's going to be fun to talk about next time. Uh, we've, We've got a weird set of issues to look at next week. Or not next week, next episode. We're up going to be looking at the trade collection of the amazing spider-man died in your arms tonight uh i cannot read you all the credits because this is a uh <laughs> a smorgasbord of comics fun fit for a high class wedding extravaganza amazing spider-man 600 and 601 the lead story in amazing spider-man family number seven and the double-sized amazing spider-man annual 36 uh it'll be a whole discussion about how we handle talking about that because my impetus is to say, I don't want to talk about an annual. I don't like annuals. They're not good. They add nothing to comics ever. Uh, there's there, Are there good annuals? I don't know if I believe it. But I definitely think we will have to talk about how we order through that all. Because uh, we got like a Bob Gale story oh. in here that I'm pretty excited to check out. Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, it's always, you know, there's an extra story in this trade that is almost not worth mentioning. It takes place before the arc. It's just a reminder that uh norman osborne was a bad dad <laughs> yeah and you know it, it is what it is but we we got good old john Romita jr back to draw what was either like an 80 or a 100 page uh anniversary issue it's it's bonkers and then it's followed up with you know other things uh and uh yeah yeah that, that's next episode we don't have to get there yet no um but yeah overall i think i i just i enjoyed this arc it is uh you know it felt it felt impactful in a way that maybe the past few haven't like it it felt like things that have been going on for a while got to to boil over which hasn't really been the case with the past few arcs even though i did enjoy them overall we got some gorgeous art and gorgeous storylines and we also got some whatever stuff but i don't know i feel like this is a good way to ring in the end of the 500s era of spider-man before 600 again, really resets the board uh, in terms of a lot of our supporting cast, what the focus is going to be on for pretty much the rest of Brand New Day, um, as it should be. It's a hundredth issue. Yeah, it's a real gear shift. Uh, I mean, I know he doesn't officially take over the book entirely until until big time, uh, but this is when it becomes, in my head, the uh, the Dan Slott era, where he writes that character for like 10 years 
fucking years. And uh, if you do not like Dan Slott Spider-Man, if you find it annoying, if there are things you don't like about it, it is a case where you just have to say, well, he did define the character for a decade. Uh, so you got to give the man his roses in terms of being like, you know, the legitimate guy. You can't say that you don't like his Peter Parker because it's not correct. By virtue of writing it for 10 years, that that's correct. Uh, which is a fun way yeah. about how comics uh, are decided as like a community project uh, of continuity. Yeah, I mean, even... And he, go ahead. Or what I was just going to say, and even beyond just the comics, it's like if you look at the animated series of the 2000s, the video games of the 2000s, even some elements of the movies and what they adapt and, and the characters and side characters that show up. I mean, Slot Shadow looms large um, for both how he defined Peter and obviously... Uh, if we're calling 600 sort of the start of where he really takes over the book for how he defined Doc Ock. So, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I, I have to agree with you. And I I would have thought that Brian Bendis and Mark Bagley, Ultimate Spider-Man, would have been more influential in the long run. But I think that the tale has has given it to uh, to Dan Slott in terms of uh, really leaving a impression on Spider-Man that has spread, like you said, through the media uh, which does make me think, this is not a Dan Slott-inspired show. It, it comes too early for that. But Jordan, I'm thinking, because I want an excuse to rewatch it, how about sometime we do an episode where we take a look at an attempt to uh, revamp and sell Spider-Man to the youth through the lens of an animated series? And how about we watch some spectacular Spider-Man? I'm always down. I mean, that's my favorite animated series. It's That's still the voice I hear Norman Osborn's voice in when I read comics, is the one from that show. So I'm always down to watch Spectacular Spider-Man. Hell yeah. It was either that or MTV Spider-Man with uh, Neil Patrick Harris. <laughs> also a valid choice of a way to spin it out. We could get an episode out of that show. Hey, hey Jordan, we'll plan on that one at some point. <laughs> <laughs> that one's that one is legitimately wild in the sense that it was meant to be the uh they were aiming at it like teenagers they were like this is not for children it's for teenagers who liked the movie and who watch mtv and it has nothing in common with the movie and is really bad <laughs> my clearest memory of that show is mj walking in on peter as a one night stand i think he's like zipping up her skirt to leave so yeah <laughs> that about sums it up yeah, that well, you know what you, you you I've talked myself into it. We should do that at some point, but we'll do spectacular first. <laughs> I, that sounds good. All right. So for anyone out there that wants to read along, really the only thing you need to check out is Amazing Spider-Man six hundred and six hundred and one. Uh, we'll cover those other stories for you. Don't worry. We're gonna read them so you don't have to. <laughs> and. Uh, when it comes time for us to drop an episode on Spectacular Spider-Man, we'll share how you can watch that legally, if that's even an option. So, until then, Jordan, where can people find you? Uh, well, you know, I'm always Twittering away at twitter.com slash indigomaster, E-N-D-I-G-O-M-A-S-T-E-R. And you can find my full portfolio of work at jordanalseca.com. You can also find me on twitter.com at Marco Stack. You can find my comics at weekendwarriorcomics.com. Uh, you can buy them if you want. You know, I'm, I'm not the boss of you. Uh, so that brings an end to this day and this podcast. But don't worry, 
We're going to rejoin you on another brand new day with another brand new podcast.